Sports Speak Podcast. This is your host, Aaron Daniels, and I got another great guest with us this afternoon. I grew up with this cat, played basketball with this cat. We got to travel in to several different cities and states throughout the country playing basketball together. But he's always played three sports, baseball, basketball, and football. He got to play football at the collegiate level. Transitioned into, into personal fitness and health and wellness, and uh, he's one of the best looking guys physically that I've been around. Uh, pause. And he is one of the most competitive guys, arguably the most competitive cat I've ever shared the court with in any capacity, man. And then I'm talking about Trey McVay. Trey, how you living, bro? Man, I'm living great, man. I'm living great. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm glad we could finally connect on this thing. Yeah, I'm glad we could too. No, no, no. Now, here's where I want to start, man. Tell me about how it was coming up in, in, in Muskogee, all right? Because I know that's your hometown, born and raised, and I got to spend about five years of my adult life there, man. And uh, uh-huh. I, got to, I, got to grow, I got to grow into a man as the early, you know, in the early part of my adulthood. But you being somebody who's, who's been there, from there, and it's in you, how was it coming up being a, an athlete at a high level in that town? It was great um, because, for one, I don't know what the, what the level of the, the, I mean, the competition level is now, but when I was coming up, we had some, some really good guys um, in the era that I was in. We have a couple of guys that's in the league, Robert Thomas, um, Stacey McGee, just to name a few right there. Um, Rail Lewis went to go play at the collegiate level of Kansas. Jameer went and played at TU and OU. So, you know, those, those type of guys competing against those guys growing up definitely will take your game um, to the next level or you won't even be able to get on the field. So that helped out a lot. Um, with honing my, my drive to become better because the guys around me in the era that I was in were also great athletes. And uh, we started, I started playing against those guys um, at a young age. And so it, it showed me that there are other athletes out there, other guys out there just like me. So it drove me to, to push myself to do extra to make sure I had that edge when it came to go head to head with not just them, but anybody I came against now uh competitive your competitive drive in nature has always been always been like you know it's always been second to none and uh, I always wonder was it something that that you kind of found on your own or was it something that was kind of that was forced upon you by maybe your parents or some other coaches like where did that drive come from I don't know um I think my dad is the same way he's very competitive um he's very mouthy <laughs> talks a lot of noise yeah, yeah. so to say <laughs> so um he he's like that naturally I think that that him being my father and me being um, growing up watching him play ball and by the time I was old enough to understand what was going on he was still playing in like church leagues and stuff like that some of the things that we still do now so I got to see his competitive drive and I got to see how um how much of an athlete he was so I think that definitely rubbed off on me and um and I think I'm just born with it I think any guy that's just that competitive um you're kind of born with that that ability and that drive. Um, but I definitely looked up to my father and, and watched him growing up as well. And I can remember when we first met one another, because me being a, a Tulsa boy, you ended up, uh, I don't even know how, whether you guys ended up finding us or we ended up finding you. But to make a long story short, we ended up on the same AAU team, the Tulsa Titans, from, you know, sixth grade all the way until uh, just before our senior season. Man, how what, was it? Was it how? What type of transition was it from you coming from Muskogee? Now all of a sudden you're in you're in the inner city with in the metro area with some guys that you are just now meeting, and um, you know not just getting along with them personally, but finding your niche on the court and being able to do what you do, you know, athletically, but still not step on each other's toes. And I guess what I'm saying is, how in the world were we able to make that make those worlds collide? Man, I used to ask myself the same question. Um, around the time that um, I started playing with you guys, about the sixth grade, like you mentioned, and it was definitely different for me. Um, coming from what I'm used to in Muskogee, coming from the guys that I know, um, playing with the guys that I grew up with, we kind of know each other's game. You know, we know when, you know, when we're open, what we're good at, what we're not good at, what you, where you're going to be, um, and things like that. So kind of coming up there, connecting with you guys, being out of my comfort zone of Muskogee, Oklahoma, which that was the first time that I had ever really played Tulsa or the Oklahoma City area. Um, typically, we play in Haskell tournaments and like you know, little country town tournaments. Mm-hmm. Never really got out of uh, got out of those little towns outside of Muskogee. Um, so it was definitely eye opening to me. Man. It showed me even more so that um, the athleticism and the talent. I had to up my game, and um, you guys took me in, and I'm very appreciative of that because it definitely changed my life and altered the direction that it was going. Because um, as you know. Muskogee is not that big of a um, – back then, not big as far as AAU teams and things like that. So I had to do other things to connect and try to get my talents out there and be seen. No doubt. No doubt about it, man. And I, I like to take all the credit. 
but I can't. You know what I mean? <laughs> now I'm I'm a move, I'm moving here to to a situation that I can remember. And I'm pretty sure that you remember pretty vividly. There was one night that we were having practice. We were we were at Tulsa McLean, and I think that's when you ended up ended up uh, tearing up that clavicle that time. But was that your first major injury that you had had in your athletic career? I'm trying to think what great. Yeah, it was. Yeah, I, was, I think I was in the sixth or seventh grade at that time, and so most definitely. Um, it was a, a freak accident. Um, I got pushed in the back as I jumped in the air, couldn't slow down. My momentum ran straight into the wall. Not my most athletic moment, to say the least, right there. But um, it was definitely my biggest injury at that time. But what it did do is it, it made me a little better with my left hand. So I um, broke my right, my right clavicle. And at that time, I couldn't use anything. So I just I would start brushing my teeth with my left, um, eating with my left, working with my left, something that I never did. And so for those couple of years there, it definitely helped me out, um, but yeah, that was my that was my biggest injury to date at that time for sure. And then I remember another injury that you had, man. Now it now that this one, I, I felt both of them for you as much of it as I could. But I remember when you tore your ACL, we were in high school, and um, yeah, man, you were you were breaking onto the scene as being a, a real high profile football player, and you always had it in right. you. But you know, you had some studs that I think were a year or two years older than you, and so you were just breaking onto the scene, uh, man. What was that experience like, and what, how in the world were you able to, to keep yourself from going crazy having to sit on the sidelines and be inactive for as long as you were? Now, that definitely uh, the back for a major comeback. Um, yes, sir. It was actually what started me um, lifting weights. It started me actually getting involved in um, at the time that it happened, um, I was actually playing against and um, Sports Speak Podcast. This is your host, Aaron Daniels. I'm back with Trey McVay. Pardon the uh, technical difficulties that we experienced, but our, I believe where we left off was uh, Trey was telling us about uh, leading up to talking about his ACL injury. Am I right, Trey? Go ahead and pick us back up where we left off. Yes, sir. Um, so I was in the 10th grade playing against Felix Jones. He was a senior two years older than me, and um, it was the first game I'd ever been spatted, or the first time I'd ever been spatted. Those of you out there who don't know what spatted is, um, it's basically where you have tape around your shoe and your ankle. So essentially your your ankle is tied to your shoe, um, and it has no give. So I got myself in a situation where um, I tried to do a spin move, and I broke down, and uh, my ankle should have twisted or my ankle should have gave, but it didn't because it was so tight. Um, and then my knee, um, basically my ACL snapped in half, um, Felix Jones then made the tackle and um, my sophomore year of athletics period <laughs> was uh, was over with within an instance and um, and I knew something bad had happened um, but that's that's how I got into fitness um, I couldn't do anything else so I would just limp my way up to the lock I mean to the weight room um, when the wrestlers was up there and that's how I started lifting um, and I started with core mainly because that was the things I could do with my upper body um, and then I would do a lot of lat pull downs um, for your back and and bicep curls. So that was that was my three go to exercises when I first started lifting. Man, well, first of all, I got to commend you on that breakdown because that 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 may have been the simplest, but the most easy to understand uh, description in terms of uh, of how the ACL injury occurred. Now, um, I've seen these days, I'm seeing the recovery time for people who sustain that injury. It, it's significant what it once was and I can remember you correct me if I'm wrong during the time where you uh, tore yours did it take you a full year to recover or was it a little bit less than that it did um, and I'll tell you kind of two parts here it took me about nine months to get back to where I could run basically full speed um, it took me about a year to where I've mentally felt like I could cut with no problem you know what I'm saying so there's that mental hurdle that I feel like every athlete goes through that has a major injury um, and I definitely had that. You, you're kind of leery of making that cut or leery of making that spin move. Um, and I never wore a brace. I mean, you see a lot of guys tear their ACL, especially back then. Um, you see a lot, a lot of guys tear their ACL and they wore a brace for a while. Um, my doctor was actually Dr. J.R. Lorton um, out of EOC here in Tulsa. He was the same doctor who did um, Josh Heupel's. I believe it was Josh mm. Heupel. Jason White. Which one of those quarterbacks for OU tore both the ACLs? That year, ooh man, that that's tough. That's I don't I don't want to misspeak, but uh, I know I think I believe one of them. I, th I believe both of them tore one. I think, but I'm not sure which one of them tore both. I'm gonna have to do some homework on that. 
Well, yeah, he was the same doctor who did um who did those repairs for their ACL, and I also think he was the same doctor for Rail Lewis who tore his ACL the same year I did. Um, so I think we all had the same doctors there, and he was a great doctor. He told me that you know the brace was more psychological than it was a hindrance of you tearing it again. So I chose not to. Um, I think that helped me out with my mindset, knowing that I was the one capable of making those cuts, and it wasn't the brace aiding me. So, you know, I think I got over that mental hurdle a lot faster than than some athletes because I chose not to wear it. And that's just me. I could be, you know, I could be biased in the situation. But. Sure, sure. And, and I'm sure you are. But another thing, when it comes to, to athletes, um, you in that case, you probably, it's arguable, and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, but were you in the prime? of your of your physical athletic career at that point and if so were you able to was it hard for you to stick to the demands of the doctor or or did you you know try to get out there and be like you know what i'm feeling pretty good today even though i'm not really clear to to, to do this i'm gonna go ahead and press the issue just to see where i really am most definitely and i had a I had a slight setback too um and i, and I, I believe it was about a month i think if i i i tried to push myself too fast because i was trying to get back out there and i felt like i could um, mentally and even physically, but it just wasn't ready. And it wasn't my ACL. Um, the repair was perfect. They actually took my hamstring. Sometimes they take the patella tendon. Um, they actually took my hamstring. And those of you who know me, which you do, you know, I have longer legs. I have longer legs and longer arms from my height. Um, yep. So, so right. they took a piece of my hamstring and it was actually too long, which they didn't, um, they didn't predict that. It was too long for an ACL. So they doubled it. So I had a, I had a, my tendon ACL after the repair was double the strength of what it was before I tore it. Not a lot of oh, people wow. know. That. Yeah. So um, I think that was a that was definitely an aid in me recovering a lot faster. But I was about eight months in, seven months in, and I I remember pushing it too much, and I I, I jumped up and I came down wrong. And it, what it was is, without me having that that portion of my hamstring, my hamstring and my quads um, weren't strong enough to kind of, you know, guide those ligaments and make those ligaments strong where they're sturdy. And I end up just tweaking it. I didn't do anything to where it was detrimental, but um, I definitely tweaked it a little bit and it kind of set me back. So that taught me a, a, a valuable lesson to make sure I'm 100% before I ever try to come back and make sure I'm listening to my doctors. But yeah, I was just like any other athlete. Um, I pushed yeah. it. Away. When you pushed it, were you out there on the field? Field work, doing some running, or was it was it a you trying to elevate? And it was a it was a pickup game. I would always try to play pick mm. just to get the, get those ligaments um, and get those muscles strong around it. And I would always limit myself to certain things that I would do. Um, and it was yeah during a pickup game, and I and definitely was mad at myself for that. <laughs> well, yeah, I, it, it happens. But I guess the good news, the best news of all of that is you didn't do anything that, that was going to put you back at square one where you had to start the whole process over again. Right. And that's a great thing. Now, you and I had some conversations. You were breaking down to me some time ago about how um, how rigorous the the uh, the physical therapy was. I mean, training not just one leg, but both legs um, to get back right. Man, how, how tough was the physical therapy? It was tough, man. It was tough. I can't even really remember um, what the physical therapist, what, what the name of it was. It was down in Muskogee. I know it was on York Street, but it was um, it was a tough. I remember a lot of the the little things that they had you doing. It's it's the tedious work. It really wasn't the the work that they were doing when I was trying to strengthen my quads or strengthen my hamstrings. It was the that tedious work, like um, they called them um, like I forgot what it was. They would set you down on a chair. And the chair was like one of the roller chairs, but it was like real sweet school chairs. And the yeah, you can hear them before you see them. a little bit as well. And they would make you like uh -huh. drag yourself around the whole the whole facility with just your heels and just that one right leg, and then go switch back and just that one left leg. So just imagine the quad burn. You just you know nobody really works on those type of details um, until you have a significant injury where you have to. Um, so I right. definitely wasn't used to it. I wasn't used to that style of training. Um, but I could definitely tell you when I came back from it, it was um, it was insane. I, I jumped higher. I was a lot quicker because I had to focus on the minor details of those muscles um, that makes you explosive, those fast twitch muscles. So, man, that's definitely something that I would take for granted because I literally sit in a, in a chair with wheels every day at work and I'm just rolling, rolling, rolling. But, you know, too much of that, not, and you're making me think about it. I'm like, all right, man, I need to go ahead and stand up because walking is going to be a little bit easier than what I've been doing here. <laughs> right. Yeah, 
Now, then during the, during the time you're in the weight room, right? And you, you obviously you, you it paid off in terms of your physique and how you're looking now. But uh, was was the weight room something foreign to you, or was it something you had always done, just maybe not at that same rate before the injury? I never took lifting serious. Um, it, in football, typically is when you're going to take it the most serious, and that's when the coaches are the hardest on you, especially in high school. Um, but they they're not always in there. They can't always watch you. Um, I was always athletic. And I was always pretty fast and it could always jump. So I never took the weight room as serious as I needed to. Um, and so when I tore my ACL, I just didn't have anything else to do. So that was actually the first time where I focused on certain body, I mean, certain body parts, certain exercises um, and things that I'd never done before. I just go to the gym and I just go to the weight room and whatever coach said do, I probably do half of what he said and leave. <laughs> Booby mile style. <laughs> yeah. That made me have to focus. So it was just like, well, hey, I'm already here. I can't do nothing else. Might as well. Why not? That'll work. Were, were you in there on your own accord, or did you have did you have one of your coaches there guiding you through the process and you know uh, showing you proper technique and giving you the target areas to work with? Or did you just take the wheel on your on your own? Yeah, I mean, I just took it on my own. Um, I, I can't remember who the wrestling coach was at that time, but he was. Um, I thank him now because he would let me come up there. I knew the exact time the wrestlers lifted. Lift with them um, every single day, five days a week. Every every time they were there, I was up there lifting. I wouldn't always do what they did, obviously, because I couldn't do anything um, with my lower half. But anything they did, upper body, um, I started jumping in on bench with them. Um, and when I first started, he would just let me use the machines that you know that they weren't using at the time. And then eventually, he was like, hey, "If you're gonna be up here, you might as well just go ahead and jump in when you can." I'm like, okay. And that's how I started. And ever since then, I've just always been fascinated with how I can tweak or or hone another muscle that I that I haven't hit or what's a different area or different angle that I can do ever since then. I don't know what it was. It was just something that um that fascinated me at the time. Man. So physically you came back from your injury and you know way better than you were before you even got injured in the first place. Around what time do you remember remember which month of which year that you were back one hundred percent clear to compete with no restrictions? I don't remember the month of the year. I know I toured football season of, of uh, my 10th grade year. So that was 2005. Five, um, yes, sir. I, I was at that game. Yes, sir. Yep. So whatever. So they're in football season right now. So it was like the second game in, I think. Second game of your junior year? Of my sophomore year. No, no, no. I'm talking about when you made your return. I, I, you, you're talking about when the injury took place, correct? Yes, when the injury took oh, place. Yeah, I'm with you. Gotcha. But it was probably right around a year later is when I came back and I was like 100 percent. And I knew for a fact, like, man, I'm significantly faster. I'm jumping a little bit higher for sure. Um, and I'm, I'm a lot quicker. My first step was a lot faster. And it was about a year on the dot of when I got that confidence to like, OK, I'm back. Like I'm back to and I'm, I'm back and I'm better than what I was. Good. Did you have a more productive season that season uh, as a junior than you did leading up to your injury the year before? I didn't. Um, I think I could have, and that's one of the reasons why I made that move to Fort Gibson as well. Um, my junior year, obviously, I set out a year, so um, uh, my cousin Dre Stout, I was playing running back at the time, and Dre Stout had come in, and he was a beast. Like he he came in and he performed well, and rightfully so. When I came back the next year, he was still playing running back, so they kind of moved me to um, receiver, and I played backup running back and things like this, things like that. And um, I don't really feel like I was utilized to my potential at the time, and then my um, my father had gotten to it with the coaches and a, a little discrepancy there as well. And that's when I made that move um, to Fort Gibson. How was the Fort Gibson experience? Well, 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 I know it was different in some on some level, but they've got a good for a good for. I imagine they 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 had one even then. Or oh yeah, were you able to contribute immediately? Oh yeah, <laughs> most definitely. The, um, the biggest the biggest thing for me with that move was it was just a culture shock going from Muskogee to Fort Gibson, which is going to be predominantly white. Um, it was a culture shock, but I knew a lot of guys over there from over the years playing, playing with them, and um, they accepted me right in like I had been there my whole life. Um, but I initially came in and uh, performed well, um, earned a starting position on offense and defense, um, special teams as well, um, and had a great career at, at Fort Gibson. We ended up going, I think we lost three or four games my senior year, um, and then um, did really, really well in, in basketball as well. Didn't make it to the state uh, the state tournament that year, which was upsetting, but we had a really good team. 
Yeah. And you know what? Did Maybe I got this wrong, but I feel like I looked at a banner when I was in Fort Gibson's gym about two or three years ago, and I think I saw your name up there, man. Did, did, did you end up getting an All-State, you know, All-State honor or something like that down in Fort Gibson? I did, man. I, I, stayed in, uh, I All-State in basketball. Man, look at you being subtle. You know what I mean? Being modest. Yeah, I, I, I know a little something about you, man. This is a hell of a competitor we're talking to right here. So did, did you play baseball that year, too? You did all three sports? I didn't. I ran track. Um, I played baseball my junior year when I was at Muskogee High. But I, I knew I was going to go to school to play football, so I went ahead and ran track just to see if I could take my speed to a, another level before that football season um, coming up at NSU. That's big time. And that, that's a great segue because you went straight to NSU right after high school, right? Sure did. Mm-hmm. Man, how, how was that adjustment going from, from high school to college? And anybody who hasn't, you know, been a college athlete, it, it's different being a college student athlete than, than being just a college student. You know what I mean? You know, and I've, I've got it's – a, it's a job in and of itself. And so you go ahead and take us through that, man, because I'm pretty sure your college experience got started during that summer of 07, right after graduation. Right. Um, yeah, <clears throat> going straight to um, NSU – was it was it was tough for me because you go from being a superstar in high school to not really I redshirted my freshman year there and not really you know being even thought of as an asset to the team so to speak so that's that's really tough to accept when you go from getting the ball every other play to not playing to sitting on the sideline and watching somebody do something that you feel like you can do and do it a little bit better um right. so that was tough for me um and to have to sit out a whole year of playing football and just, you know, learn the playbook and go to practice every single day and go to film and still do all the things that um, the players are doing that's getting the shine on Saturdays, but not getting to, not getting to reap any of the benefits. That takes a toll on you mentally. Man. And you just got through doing that, uh, the, what, a little over a year before that, but it was for a different reason. Exactly. Exactly right. Now, do you have a different outlook on redshirting now? You know, some years later, because I there was a, I can I was in a similar situation, but you know, uh, during my during my little junior college years uh, as a freshman, there was a possibility that I was going to get redshirted, and I didn't. I, I immediately took that as disrespect, but me kind of knowing the process better now, I I think that had it happened, you know, if I would have thought about it the right way, it could have turned out to be the best thing for me. Like, do you have? How do you feel about the redshirt process now? I love it, man. It, it made me um, a, a lot better player. It gave me a lot more experience. One, I got to s- learn the playbook before I actually stepped on the field, which was very, very helpful. Um, I, I put on about 10 pounds before that very next year. I wasn't very big when I was coming out of high school. So um, it allowed me to be more durable dur- throughout the season. Um, so that was very helpful. So now that I look back on it and, it, and it allowed me to get adjusted to the college life, going to class, balancing class, um, going out and having fun um, and, and, you know, being a student athlete as well and being, um, being an athlete as well. So when you add all those things up, um, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Now you're right. At the time, you're like, man, I should be playing. Absolutely. I'm better than this. What's going on? Now I'm like, even when I was a senior, I look back on it like, man, that whole year was just a building process for, you know, my junior year and my senior year. And it just gave me another year to be a better player. Absolutely. Now, what, what position were you playing um, when you when you got to college? I got recruited for defense. Not a lot of people know that as well. I got recruited I for corner. Yeah, I thought you were all uh, offense yeah. at that point. <laughs> I got recruited for corner um, and and uh, running back. Okay, corner and running back. Obviously, my it that that it did not end up going that way. <laughs> Oh yeah, oh yeah. So, well, when you finally got on the field and you, it was your time to compete. Were you, were you playing, were you playing both sides of the ball? And if so, at either one of those positions, or was it a total change up? Total change up. I actually have never played one snap at running back, nor one snap at corner. The two positions I got recruited for. Never played a snap in college at either one of those positions. Wow. So what, what did it turn out to be? Receiver. It was, it was just a. It was one of those things where, like I said, I redshirted. I knew I was redshirting. Um, so the first day of practice, we had a lot of we had a lot of running backs already, and we had a lot of um, corners already, defense defensive players, and so they really didn't need me to go in those positions. They wanted those guys to get those reps because I wasn't going to be playing anyway, and so they were like, "Ah, we'll just go with the receivers because we were lacking receivers. I was going to be on scout team. They needed those. Um, they needed they needed me to be there." to help out the defense. So I was just like, okay, I'm, you know, I'm red shirt anyway. Don't really matter to me. 
I'll just go a receiver. And I was not very good. Um, I can always catch. That was always a strong point of mine. But as a running back, you used to going forward and making a cut or, you know, a quick move and still going forward. As a receiver, now I have to train my body to break down, make a strong move, um, and then come backwards sometimes. And that was tough to make that transition, never doing it before. Mm. Man, that, that... – I got to give you some props on having the discipline to, to hang in there and basically pick up, pick up a trade, learn a different skill, because, you know, I'm pretty sure you, just like me, know a lot of people who wouldn't have, uh, who may have crumbled, you know, under, under circumstances like that, having to be disciplined enough to learn the playbook, you know, red certain, and then finally getting a taste of the field, but not being able to do what you would consider to be your specialty. Now, here's what I've always kind of been curious of when it comes to learning that playbook. Um, does it, did you play in a different position pretty much undo all the learning of the playbook that you did for another position whenever you were redshirted? Yes, most definitely. Oh, it did. And, so and now you, you back to the book. Yeah, right back to square one. Um, so here I am thinking that I'm going to be playing a certain position and throughout that whole process, think watching that position and, and, you know, studying that position. And then all of a sudden being thrown and having to look at film and look at football um, a totally different way because if you've played football before when you watch a football game on tv versus somebody who's never played but always watched it you look at it and you view the game totally different just like any other sport like you've played basketball and you've coached it now so now I guarantee you from you playing and coaching you view it different you watch it differently now you watch the play before it make before it happens you watched a couple Absolutely. of plays and you know you watched a couple of trips down the court before that set up that play Mm -hmm. And it, it's so hard to shut off that switch and, and, and just try to watch it objectively as a fan. I, I'm pretty sure you go through that, too, as a yes. football guy. Yes, because I look at play actions that happened, you know, two series ago that he ran that same route. Now, all of a sudden, he's open and everybody else thinks like, oh, he just made a great play. No, that play was set up a while ago. <laughs> so it's the same mm. thing. <laughs> that third eye, man. Yeah. So your, your, red, your red shirt freshman year, what type of season were you able to have? I was actually decently productive. I can't, I can't really remember how many catches I had. I think I might have had like two touchdowns, three. I think I had three touchdowns, yeah. Three touchdowns, maybe like uh, 25, 30 catches at the most, I think. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, but not, you know, not what I expected. Sure, sure, sure. But, you know, I'm pretty – it sounds like you've been able to, to, to switch your mind throughout this whole process to – whatever the next task is and you know I, I think man it's such a grind dude that a lot of a lot of athletes that say they want to compete at the next level it's just so much that you're not you can't possibly be ready for it until you get immersed in it and um so we'll go in chronological order here so you get that was your freshman year your red yep. freshman year when you finally got to put some pads on and some cleats and get in the mix and play Bring me to your sophomore year. I, I imagine you all, you all probably graduated some guys and some slots opened up. I'm pretty sure you got more acclimated with uh, what, your, what your role was and how you were going to be able to contribute. How much different, better or worse, uh, was it for you, um, your sophomore season, redshirt sophomore season? Better. Better for sure. You're wiser. Um, and it, it helped me out because, you're right, we graduated a couple of guys and we had some guys that had been there a while that were really good receivers um, by the name of Jared Byers and my homeboy D. Hen, if he ever hears this one, Damian Henderson. Um, and these were two guys who were my mentors um, throughout that time. Because, I mean, if you think about it, I've only been playing receiver two years. So I needed right. some tutelage to teach me the, the intricacies of football. Instead of just being an athlete, running past you, running a good route and getting open, like, how do I make it easier? You know what I'm saying? How do I read defenses? How do I how do I read safeties and 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 uh, and linebackers and and things like that? And I never played inside receiver. So my first two years playing receiver, I always played X, which all of you football players or fans out there, that's the outside receiver. That's the one that's typically is going to be a little bit taller, but I could jump, so it helped me out. We would just throw the ball up and I try to go make a play on the ball. Um. So and I was in at that time, I was just being an athlete. Uh, kind of like a Des Bryant. Have you ever seen Des Bryant? Like he's really not that detailed in his route running, but he's a playmaker. He just goes up and he's aggressive and he just, you know, makes plays. And that's kind of who I was when I first started playing. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you said something right there that I'm going to highlight for just a moment, because <clears throat> maybe not you, but in a, you know, generally speaking, I think, I think it's hard for some 
athletes, especially those who have been exceptional at what they do, to um, admit to themselves that hey, man, I, I might need to, I might need to lean on somebody else's understanding um, in terms of my own on this one right here, and especially if that somebody is right there in the trenches with you. Um, was was it right. one of those deals where where you say you needed some tutelage? Did you did you go and seek that out, or did it just come at you and you had to take it whether you wanted it or not? No, yeah, I I, went, I had to go seek it out for sure. I think all great athletes, you have to be able to to self assess, self assess, so to speak. Like if you don't understand your your um, your downfalls, or if you don't understand your weaknesses, you'll never know what it takes to to either get over those weaknesses or to be strong in the areas that you're already strong in. And so they were better receivers than me because they've been playing it for a while. So I needed to know how they got to that point. What are you doing that I'm not doing? And whatever it is, I need to be doing it ASAP. So I and whatever mistakes you made, I don't want to make those same mistakes. Like I'm I'm gonna learn from what you're telling me. And I'm not going to go through what you went through. So those are the questions. Absolutely. Man. So did, did, did you meet any resistance with that or were they, were they happy to, to, to help guide you along? Oh, they were happy. They, they were, they were definitely happy. Those two guys um, along with um, a, a brand new coach that came in, his name was Brad Cornelson. Um, he was a quarterback coach at OSU the year before he came to NSU. He's actually the um, offensive coordinator now at Virginia Tech. I believe, and I believe he's the head officer coordinator there. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure he is. So those three, those three things that happened there um, changed my career and made me who I was, the player I was my junior and my senior year, which my sophomore year, I believe I had six touchdowns and around 40 catches probably, something like that. Oh, man, so you went up in both of those departments. Went up in both. Yes, sir. Man, <laughs> that's big time. All right, so bring me to the last half of your half of your college experience. You're a junior now. You wanted one of the upperclassmen. You've been in the program for for three years, two years active. Um, how, first of all, how was that? How was that 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 weight room experience? Because I'm pretty sure you know the the demands were a lot higher at the collegiate level than what they were the way you described them at the high school level. And I'm pretty sure your appetite for it went up too. How was that, man? Yes. Um, I started to realize how important the gym was around my sophomore year when it comes to the details of the lift. Not necessarily how much weight I was lifting, but the details, what muscles I'm working and things like that. Um, so that helped me out learning from the older guys to understand it's the details. It's, it's the, tech, the technique in the lifts that's going to take you to the next level. Because at a receiver, now when it comes to like linemen, and running back and things like that, you want to be more powerful. You want to you want to be good at the bench and the squat and things like that. But when it comes to receiver, I want to be good at my first step. I want to be able to jump, get to my highest point before you and things like that. So I would lift a little different. Um, and then we had a strength and conditioning coach by the name of Greg Richmond who came in. He was um, he played DN at OSU and he played in the league. So he came in and had gave me a lot of insight on what NFL guys were doing. Put me on an NFL program that took my athleticism to the next level because of the, the things that he was teaching me and the exercises um, that we were doing that was so different than what I'd ever done before in high school, as opposed to um, um, what the other um, position. Man, man, that's amazing. That's amazing. So it sounds like you were surrounded with resources that you needed to, to become the best at what you do. Now, and I'm pretty sure you had, you had the dream of going and playing professional football in the NFL. Right. right. Now here, here's here's what I'm getting at, and I, and I mean no disrespect to anybody when I say this, but you know I, when I think about guys that that we sort of grew up around or grew up competing against, I think about I think about Chris Harris, you know what I mean, that who's doing his thing in the NFL right now for the Denver Broncos. But I also um, remember watching the both of you in the peak years of y'all's athletic career at the amateur level, and I'm like, man, I always saw you as being the you know the pretty much the exact same athlete, you know what I mean? Maybe you may even have had more athletic prowess. And I'm thinking, man, if Trey could get that break, that dude could be making some big time money and some big time noise on Sundays and Mondays, man. What ended up happening between you finishing your collegiate career and then you moving on to being a real adult and then going on to the next chapter of your football career? So my senior year, was definitely the best year that I had in my college career um, by far. And it, it put me in a position to 
um, the NFL teams were looking at me. I had a couple of NFL teams actually come to some of the practices at NSU, watch me practice. Um, and uh, so I thought I was for sure um, going to be going into the getting drafted, at least getting entered into the draft and being invited to the combine. Um, and when that happened at the time, I turned down a lot of my CFL opportunities that I have because I'm thinking like, OK, I'm going to make it to the NFL. I'm not really worried about the CFL. And so when the NFL didn't happen, I tried to go back and lean on the CFL and my, my time had passed. And so whenever you're having an opportunity to go to one of those elite levels, you have a small, very, very small window. And I feel like I missed my window um, for whatever reason. Um, I think it was a God thing as well, which we'll, we kind of get into that in a, in another interview. Um, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I feel like I still, I had the, the ability to play at the next level. Um, a lot of the guys that I played with feel like I had that ability. Um, for whatever reason, it didn't work for me. When I did have my combine, though, I did have a combine for the Atlanta Falcons. Um, and I just truthfully, I didn't run my best. I never had that type of training that, you know, knows the details of the 40-yard dash. I kind of trained myself to go run it. Um, and I'm not really going to stand out on paper when it comes to how fast I can run and how quick I can do my, you know, my, my five, um, five, 10, five shuttle. Those are the type of things that stand out, especially when you go D2. You have to stand mm-hmm. out in the speed area and the quickness area when you go to a smaller DT, D2 school like NSU, especially on paper going against other D1 guys. Because if they look like me on paper, but they played at OU, who do you think is going to get the opportunity? Right, right. That, that kind of big time. Um, you know, I always say if the combines were a little different and they allowed me to put on pads and they allowed me to show my athleticism and see my intellect of the game, I think my opportunity and my, you know, everything would have turned out differently, but for what it is, you know, they got to figure out a way to, to separate people. So, and then the combine is the way it is and it's all about numbers and that, and that really hurt me in that area. I got you. Now, let me ask you this. What did these NFL coaches and scouts, did, did they have, did they have film on you at any point? They did. Um, they did. Now, 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 now this, this is where my, this is where my problem is. You know what I mean? And uh, you know, not to cut you off, but I gotta throw this at you, and I want you to answer this for right. me. And I know, I yeah. know, I am, uh, I'm not as privy to the process as you, because you definitely are more of a football guy than I ever was. But to to me, when it comes to evaluating somebody's talent or somebody's ability, uh, wouldn't live action in real time be more give you more of a description of what this person can do? Than, than just saying, hey, yeah, we watched you play 10 games during the season or, or, or however many weeks y'all, y'all play. He said, but I still want you to come on out here and work out for us and see if it's really real. I mean, that seemed like a backwards method to me or a backwards system to me. What do you think about that? I agree, um, in a sense, because when it comes to NFL scouts, and this is coming straight from them to me, d- direct feedback, what okay. they go off of when it comes to lower-class guys, like a lower-class D2 school, mm-hmm. they look at the level of competition I played against. And mm-hmm. so did I play against any corners that went to the NFL? Did I play against any corners that went to the league? Did I play against any defenses that sent or any teams that sent their defensive players to the league? And so they judge that off of when they watch my film and when they see me on paper. Gotcha, gotcha. So if I would have played in a, at a higher D2 and I would have been playing against Pitt State, Texas A&M, those type of schools that actually send guys to the league and doing the same exact things, putting up the same exact numbers, then my film would have been more, um, would have had more clout, put it that way. Hmm. Okay, so I guess that makes I guess it that, that sort of makes more sense to me as to why why you see some of the uh, some of the high profile athletes that come from some of the uh, some some of the powerhouse Division One universities turned down going to the combine. Yeah, most definitely. Okay, so that they can stand yeah. to do that. Okay, we'll see. You just educated me on the process more than what I had known before, man. Now, so we, we hold on. We, you had a short stint where you were playing some ball overseas, am I right, or, or am I just making yeah. up stuff? No, no, yeah, you're right. I was in uh, I was in Serbia. I was in Europe for six months. It was uh, the, I was in the second largest city in Serbia. It was called Kragujevac, and wow. um, another culture shock, my brother. Another culture shock. I was the only. <laughs> In the city, and the city is probably, I would say, biggest Broken Arrow. Wow. Not as big as Broken Arrow, about 10,000 people. Mm. Less, probably about a little bit less, probably about 150,000. But I was the only African-American, literally the only African-American in the whole city. So that was a culture shock. But 
I think, you know, God takes you through things in life, like going to Fort Gibson, where I was the only African-American in my senior class. Mm-hmm. And so I was kind of already used to that environment. Um, so it was, um, I loved every single moment of it. Got homesick about three months in. I think anybody, everybody does. Um, then kind of got over that, but great experience. Uh, wouldn't change it for the world. That's for sure. Wow. Wow. So when you came back after the six months, was that fire to play? Was that still burning or, or, or had you determined at that point that it was time for you to figure out what was next? I, and that's when I had the, um, so when I came back, I went over there, I got film. I sent film out that I got from over there to a couple of NFL teams, CFL teams and things like that. Had a CFL right. team out, um, didn't get picked up there, which is really, really tough. Those of you who has ever been to a CFL tryout and know anything about it. Um, from what I heard, and I don't know how true this is, but from what I've heard, Typically, a CFL combine is just to make money for the team, and only about one guy is going to get picked up um, from those. So mm-hmm. I performed well in them. Didn't anything come of it for whatever reason. Um, and then I performed well at the um, Atlanta Falcons combine as well. So this combine from Atlanta Falcons was after I came back from overseas. Oh, man. Okay, okay. So that uh, yeah, that makes sense in, in terms of, you know, gradually moving up, getting getting those opportunities. But, you know, it just happened not to work for you. And yeah. then at some point in there, you you ended up you ended up making a real grown up move. I remember, I remember you had you had your son on the way, your your, first, your oldest, and then you ended up uh, ended up getting married. You know what I mean? And obviously, that spells a lot of change in and of itself, man. How, how does how did that correlate to everything that you had been going through at that point? Oh, uh, it was it. So when I got when I first found that I was going to have my first son and when I got married, I was a sophomore in college. This was before my um, anything I'd done. In, this was before I even really made a name at NSU. Um, so oh, wow. that, yeah, that in itself, trying to be a, um, a father, trying to be an athlete, trying to be a student, trying to be a husband, all in one was definitely life changing for me. Um, it made me a better athlete because my lifestyle became more structured than what it was. I couldn't be a typical college student. Um, and it made me, um, it, uh, I just think, I, th- I definitely think it just made me a better athlete because I, you know, I got more rest. I had a more structured lifestyle. Um, and I was, you know, at home a lot. Man, I had to get that discipline by hook. Change things up. Huh? <laughs> right. Man. I- and I and I always commend you for doing that because you know I, I to put it in a in a short and simple statement it, it seems like you know those who's like you or also who fit a description similar to that you know you, it forces you to grow up a little earlier than maybe somebody else your age man so I got to give you the nod on that but and now let's talk about what you do nowadays man because I, I follow you closely and uh, also from a distance since we you know we, we don't live in the same city anymore but I see you you know doing a lot of outreach and, and incorporating a lot of other people into your own health and fitness and wellness journey man T- talk about that and wh- how that passion just grew to where it is now because you're really doing your thing with man I appreciate it um I've always had a passion for fitness um I've always had a passion for people as well and I, mm-hmm. I get satisfaction off people um, feeling better about themselves. I get satisfaction on changing someone's life because that's what I feel like it does. Whenever you allow somebody to, or whenever you aid somebody in helping them um, change their life by where losing weight, gaining muscle, whatever it is, whatever allows them to feel happy about themselves, it does something for me. Um, so that's initially, it took me one person to see that I was working out because I never really wanted to, personal train or kind of get into the personal training world. I didn't go to school for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I went to school for business management. So it was never even a thought of mine, um, but it came from my passion of fitness. Um, and so I was consistent in learning more about the nutrition side and learning more about health and fitness and how to lift and how to change your body. And somebody saw a change in me. And so they were like, man, it looks like you've been working out, uh, you know, what you've been eating, things like that. So that was the first person. And so once I started telling them like, yeah, I just kind of did some research eating these type of foods, doing these type of workouts. And they started doing it and they got results from it. And so I was like, man, like, you know, my passion from, from what I have kind of trickled into you. And now I've kind of helped you change your life. And that did something for me. And so that's initially how I got started um, into the personal training and the fit camps and things like that. How important is the, is the nutritional side of things uh, even more so or less than the, the, the physical training? Definitely way more on the nutritional side. And I always say the the percentages is typically going to be about 80% nutrition 
20% actually going to the gym and lifting. I think that kind of um, sways depending on how much someone works out, depending on how active they are. But typically, it's going to be about 80-20. If you're really looking to change your body and you really have body goals or you have that person that you know you follow on social media and you like, okay, I want to look like this person, you have to understand that that person looks like that because they have a consistent nutrition um, and, and that's what it takes. It has to be something that you're um, that's on your mind about five to six days out of the week if you really want to have those changes um, in your body. Man, okay, so I'm gonna get I'm gonna get sort of nosy on this one. Uh, in a, in a Trey McVeigh week, what do your what do your days consist of in terms of your your, your food intake, your, your consumption? What are your meals looking like? Are you eating breakfast, lunch, and dinner? And if so, what you, what do those meals consist of? Okay, so those of you out there who don't know, and I know you do, I'm a huge fan on Herbalife. Uh, my wife and I have been taking Herbalife for about five or six years now. Um, I don't really push it, but I'm I'm huge on it because I feel like the product is amazing. I believe in the um, in the nutritional facts on the product. So a typical day for me is I'm gonna um, I use the Herbalife meal replacement in the Herbalife protein drink mix. So for breakfast, I'm gonna eat about a cup of oats two scoops of both of those Herbalife's that I just mentioned. Um, I'm always going to have some type of berries. When it comes to fruits, I try to stick to berries like um, raspberries, blackberries, strawberries, um, those type of um, fruits where the seeds are on the outside or where it has a seed on the inside. I'm going to have a handful of blackberries or raspberries and then some almonds. I always try to stay with some almonds or walnut, um, walnuts, cashews, pistachios, some type of healthy fat. And then um, I'm going to have about eight egg whites. You want to try to stay away from the yolk because that's where the saturated fat and all the fat's going to be. And the egg whites and the um, white part of it, that's where you're going to get your amino acids. So you want those, which are going to be building blocks for protein. So all those like little details right there is, um, is going to set you apart when it comes to your body goals because you're giving your body what it needs to perform and, and to grow and to, and to respond like you want it to. Um, right. So that, that, has a, that has a direct uh effect on on how rigorous your training could be physically right oh most definitely it has a um getting an oil change and getting your tires rotated has a direct effect on how your vehicle runs so absolutely you know fine-tuning your nutrition is going to have a direct effect on how much output you can put in the gym how much time you can spend there and how much you know time on attention and how much actual time in the gym you're working instead of on your phone or talking or resting so, so to speak yeah man yeah man i'm definitely guilty you know i'm getting better though man yeah i'm getting better but but that's breakfast okay yeah. so well, well what's a lunch well what's a lunch for trey i mean uh, now does the time of uh does the time of day that you that you get this food in you does that matter too it it does depending on what type of diet you're on if you're if you're doing like on a keto diet or if you're doing like intermittent fasting then you're going to eat in those little windows that you can eat in if you're going to have that eight hour or 10 hour fasting window or 12 hour fasting window, that eight hour eating window, <clears throat> it just depends on what diet you're in. For mine, I'm typically going to eat about four times a day. I like to keep my metabolism running. I like to keep make sure that it has food in it, in my system. That way my metabolism knows that it can keep getting rid of what I'm putting in it because it knows I'm going to feed it again. So I'm going to eat about, I'm going to eat a breakfast around eight, eight thirty. I'm typically going to have a snack in between, whether it be a, a protein bar um, from Herbalife. It's going to be a Quest bar, which are a really good high in protein, low in carbs, low in sugar, um, just, again, to keep my metabolism going. And then for lunch, I'm typically, um, I'm a big crock pot cooker and rice cooker. So anything I can put in a rice cooker or a crock pot, that's typically what I'm going to be eating. So um, there you go. For lunch, it's going to be um, one cup of quinoa. It's going to be a cup of um, broccoli. Um, always a little lean turkey meat for my meats. It's going to be a baked chicken, um, something like that. And then I'm always going to have a snack in between my dinner. And I'll always repeat that for dinner. But for dinner, I like to um, up my carbs a little bit. And I always go with like a sweet potato. Um, I'll go with a little bit more rice, a cup and a half, a cup and a half of quinoa. Um, because I know that uh, I exert a lot of energy throughout the day in the gym and uh, in my profession. And so I always up my carbs at, at night. Um, that way my body has a little bit more to feed off of because I do keep my metabolism running throughout the whole day. I know it's running pretty high and I don't want to go um, into a catabolic state throughout the night. 
And um, a catabolic state is just basically where you don't have enough nutrients and proteins and aminos um, and, and um, vitamins in your body for your body to feed off of. So it starts to eat mm-hmm. your muscle. And you never want to go in that catabolic state. You always want to stay in a in an anabolic state. So I always up my protein and carbs at night. Now, on that last point, does that have – is that why I see you, you know, the few times whenever I'm able to make that trip to Muskogee and we get in that gym and we're hooping. Like, in between games, I'll see you, you know, take a bite or two of one of those one of those uh, protein bars, you know what I mean, while, while you hit your water you know, in between your games. Is, is that, to, you know, to keep yourself from burning too much to where you start eating your muscle up? Yep. Um, exactly. So you'll see me mainly do that. And it's kind of strategic if you really if if you really watch it. Um, if you if you watch if you look at marathon runners, you notice how they're they're always pretty skinny with no muscle. Mm-hmm. So what they've done is called long bouts of steady cardio. So if you see me in the gym and we win like four or five games in a row, three games in a row, I'll always go over in, be, in between and eat because I, my body's not used to being at a long bout of steady cardio. My body's used to doing short bursts. Um, it's short, short burst. So 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off, a 30 second sprint down and I'm resting. And so once my body gets to the point to where, oh, okay, now I'm running like a marathon runner, it's going to go into where I'm actually burning so many calories that I'm burning them to my muscle and I'm, I'm past burning fat now. And I don't want to get to that point. And so I always eat to make sure I keep enough protein in me to where I never go um, to where my body wants to burn muscle and eat my muscle up. I want to keep as much muscle and burn as much fat as I can. Are you able to feel when, whenever whenever that starts to happen, or is it just one of those deals where where you where you start to look at your body after a while and like, man, hold on, I'm, I'm I'm looking a little frail here. Yeah, my muscle definition, my muscle pump comes after a couple of days of depletion of a certain carb or a certain protein or anything like that. Um, I can feel it in my energy level when I know my carbs are low, and not necessarily like I get fatigued running or anything like that but my my um my output level when i'm lifting in the gym i can tell if my if i go down 10 pounds like um, my carbs are probably low i don't have enough energy to lift i can tell in the details of that just because i've been doing it for a while though man that's called knowing your body right there boss yeah. <laughs> now we're gonna we're gonna take you we're gonna take you back into the weight room okay. um a trey a trey mcveigh week what what is your workout regimen or routine? I mean, how often how often are you lifting a day? Are you a one a day guy or are you a two a day guy, or does it just vary de- depending on how you feel? Because I know you'll get competitive every now and again and see somebody else working. You're like, you know what? I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go hit round two. Yeah. What, what 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 are your weeks looking like? You're exactly right. Um, I think that's one of the biggest problems for me of writing a workout plan for somebody is because my workouts are so sporadic. And I don't really go off on body parts. <clears throat> I make sure I hit certain body parts throughout the week, but mm-hmm. it's not necessarily in succession. So I always go on how I feel. Like, where does my body take me on the next? And I, and I call it control chaos. That's how I lift. So it looks right. and it looks like I'm just doing something, but it's actually strategic. And I'm actually, I have a, it's a, it's a plan behind it. And a, um, it's so, I, I call it three sets or four sets of failure. And so okay. I'll, if I'm doing a set of bicep curls, I'll do 50 pounds, as many reps as I can get. I'll drop to 45, do as many reps as I can get, drop to 40, do as many reps as I can get, and then drop again. So four sets of failure. So I don't know how many reps I just did. I just know I did it until I couldn't do it no more. And I set it down. And I'll do everything like that with an ab in between. So if I'm doing buys and back, I'll do my back, my back exercises the same way. Lap pull downs heavy as I can go for as many reps drop as many reps heavy as I can go. And I'll do an ab in between. And so I never allow my body to, I never allow my body to, um, to recover. And I just call it time under tension and I call it range of motion. So everything, everything I do, I stretch all the way out and I contract, I contract all the way down every single time. And so that's how I've gotten my body to respond a lot faster and get, and get a lot faster results coupled with my nutrition man and that's and that, those are those are major gems you're dropping man for, for those who tune in and listen to this you're gonna get more more than your fair share you're gonna start charging Trey. <laughs> <laughs> now last thing i want to throw at you man i know you're a busy guy and you've been more oh, than gracious with your time all right well here's what here's what um what i've been kind of 
watching from a distance. You know, we all get up and we 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 work for a living. But it seems like you've got your you've got your hands in so many different things at one time, all pretty much um, with the same foundation stemming from the same place. But what all for a living every day? So I work at Orange Theory Fitness, which is um, a okay. concept here in Tulsa. It's just a heart rate based concept, basically. Um, it's a class environment. Okay. I'm on a mic. Everybody in my class has a heart rate monitor on. I can actually see your five heart rate zones on two big TV screens. Um, and I'm basically taking you through um, your different zones to make sure that you're in your fat burning zone at certain times of the class. Um, and so what we specialize in is treadmills, um, row machines, bozu balls, TRX bands. And I basically take you through a series of lifts. 50% of the class is lifting, power, and strength, and the other 50% is going to be cardio-based. Um, and so sometimes we run uphill. Um, sometimes we do 30-second sprints, one-minute sprints. Um, and I just basically coach you to make sure you're burning calories after my class is finished. Um, and, then, and we specialize in what is called EPOC. Um, and it's basically an afterburn. Um, so I'm, I'm into that right now. Yeah, it's um, pretty detailed, um, and it's guaranteed. So that's why... I was um, attracted to it because, again, like I mentioned at the very beginning, why I'm so passionate about it is because I love to see people get real results and really, really change the way they look at themselves um, and their self-esteem. And so if I can ever get behind something that I feel like um, can give you guaranteed results, I'm going to get in it because, you know, I love to help people. And so with that, I've seen ridiculous, like I, I, don't, I don't even think I can explain it to you, um, ridiculous results coupling orange theory um, with my uh, with Herbalife and, and vice versa. So um, that's what I'm into right now. Um, I um, I coach my son's football team as well. <clears throat> hey, that's all right, man. Yeah. Now that I didn't know. How's that been going, man, with them little old jokers? Oh, yeah, man. My oldest son is a monster. I look out for um, Sir Prince McVay just to give him a shout out before he's even yeah. uh, at that elite level. He is going to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to drop that plug. <laughs> you got to drop that plug. Um, so I'm coaching this team now. Also have um, Herbalife. I'm into um, I'm into partnership with um, Brookside Nutrition up here in Tulsa, which is um, a nutrition club close to where I work in partnership with them. Um, and I'm, I'm doing Herbalife on the side and doing personal training and um, sports specific training, you know, working on explosion and plyometrics, which I've been doing for a while um, for my athletes out there. And um, and weight loss as well for my women and my men who are looking to um, drop some weight. Man, look at you! Now, do, do you have any? Do you have any any uh, any clients that 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 you see in more than just one of those departments that you just thrown that you just threw at us? Um, yes, I do actually. I have a couple of clients from um, my Orange Theory family that it's a couple of guys who are you know taking Orange Theory for the weight loss side of it. And then using me outside of those classes to gain that, um, to build that, that lean muscle that they're looking to build as well. So, yeah, it's a, gotcha. it's a great opportunity for me to, to kind of double dip, so they say. <laughs> hey, yeah, you double dip, man. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Ain't nothing wrong with but, it at all. <laughs> now, here, here's my thing right here. And I, I, was having, I was having a conversation with somebody close to me the other day. Um, we all we all have our we all have our things that we love, the things that we are passionate about, and then we have the things that we absolutely have to do, no matter no matter how we feel about them. But I also think that we all have our have our vices. There's a human element that comes to everything. Now I know I dressed that up, but I'm gonna ask you the simplest question ever: When Trey McVeigh has a cheat day, mm. what does he eat, man? I remember you said something to me one time. You was like, "Man, I don't have cheat meals. I have cheat days." <laughs> what's, what's the cheat day look like for, for Trey? What are your bad favorites? So my all-time favorite, which I will never be able to stop eating, I can never say that I will never eat this again, and it is cereal. I cannot stop, won't <laughs> stop. I just can't. can't they used to me on post toasters when I was younger. I used to eat cereal so much. <laughs> so if you give me some Fruity Pebbles, whether it be oh, Cocoa Puff or any type of fruity pebbles with some cold ice milk, I can't turn it down. It is what it is. And um, Brahms burgers. I love burgers when I'm oh, going man. for a cheat meal. <laughs> love them. Um, what else do I love? I'm a big sweet eater. So anything yes. I can have, sweet, cheesecake. I love cheesecake. Um, 
I'm gonna tell you what I ran into you. At, I'll tell you, I ran into you at the Tulsa State Fair a couple years ago. You were smashing a donut burger, man. I said, "Look at this dude, <laughs> donut cheeseburger." Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I am not a robot. Those of you out there, you need to reboot that system. Nobody needs to be eating healthy seven days a week, twenty-four hours a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. It's just not. It's not feasible. So you want to make sure you're giving your body that mix-up. You want to give yourself five to six days of healthy meals. And then I wouldn't say give yourself a whole day of cheat meals. It really depends on your activity level. Like for me, I'm still so active. I play in, you know, flag football leagues on Sundays, a basketball league on Mondays. So if you're really, really active and your cardio is up there, you know, you can have you, a, you know, a couple of cheat meals throughout the week and it really won't affect you that much. But if you're one of the ones who only do cardio at the gym um, and you may get a, you know, a little bit of cardio in every now and then, you want to make sure you, you stick to a cheat meal. Um, you stay away from buffets and you stay away from taking home um, leftovers because now it turns into two cheat meals and you're just setting yourself up for failure. So that's, I mean, that's the gym. Well, whoa, whoa, hold on. That, that's a super gym right there. I never thought about it like that. Hey, you don't, don't to go it. Just leave it. <laughs> <laughs> just leave it there. I'd rather you eat it all in one setting than take it home. Just eat it all in one setting. Go ahead and be gluttonous and eat it all at once. Just and don't take it home because now you're going to change it into two bad meals and it's getting in your system in two different hours at two separate times. So two separate times. So great point. Now I feel better about not eating leftovers that much. <laughs> now, even then, now I know I said that was the last thing, but man, you got you got so much insight, man. I got to keep going. I'm I'm gonna got one more thing I want you to hear this with. If, if somebody, if somebody was wanting to, um, well, let, let's let's use a, a common phrase. They want to get their life together starting tomorrow, right? Uh, what I what I see a lot of, and I'm pretty sure you've seen just as much, if not more, folks getting getting started on a path, but ended up falling off the wagon relatively early. I'm not sure what leads to that, but um, in your estimation, what approach should a person take, whether it be in terms of physical fitness and nutrition, um, should they take in the beginning stages to where they don't try to just jump out there and quit everything that they've ever done bad, cold turkey, and then ended up getting overwhelmed about three days in and then just say, you know what, screw it. Uh, most definitely. I would, I would take slow steps. So if you're someone who eats um, typically unhealthy um, seven days a week, you don't want to try to go seven days a week eating healthy right off the bat, just like you just said. You want to take baby steps. You want to try three days out of the week. You, wanna, you might, you might, you might want to try every other day to start off. Um, but you want to make sure you set yourself up for, for success. Um, you want to make sure that you start with nutrition first. Never start, never think that you can change your mind that, okay, I'm going to be more active. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to walk that mile every single day. I'm going to walk around the block like I said I was last year for my New Year's resolution. And then you never decide to change your nutrition. Because what, what happens is anybody can do the 20, the 20%. Anybody can change their activity level and get more active. That's the easy part. But so many people start there and they don't see results because they never change the 80 that they stop doing everything. They're like, oh, this ain't working. So I'm done. I'm not even going to do nothing now. I'm just forgetting. And then now they're in a deeper hole than what they were before they even decided to get active in the, in the beginning. So anybody who signs up with me to um, to want to do personal training, I always make sure they can follow um, a diet plan first because that's what I need to change before I can change your body is your nutrition. So if you can eat right for two weeks, now I can train you. Man, I, you know what? I, I think that's big. I was hoping that you weren't going to say for one week, but but a month would be a little long. But, but two weeks, I think that's like the perfect amount of time to to, to show that you really want it. Because I think we all got to take ownership in our own improvement, right? Most definitely. And that's the only way you're going to really get the results that you're looking for is you have to to say that, okay, hey, this is the type of nutrition I'm going to eat. This is what my personal trainer, my nutritionist, um, my friend that looks amazing, this is what they eat. So why not? If it's working for them, I'm at least try it. And you have to actually give yourself enough time that your eyes can look in the mirror and you can see yourself changing. If you never get to that point, you, you'll never get addicted to it, so to speak. You'll never know that you can take it to another level, but you have to, you have to give yourself um, at least – I say at least two months. They say how long? How long does it say to, to create a habit? Oh man, you know what? Really, I thought it was. You might, you, you might be being generous for sixty days. I thought it was ninety. It probably is ninety. They say 21. 21 days is not enough time to see results. One, 
um, and and to um, to create a habit, definitely not enough time. So you you can't say you um, it's too hard until you've given yourself, like you said, I say ninety days, um, three months. If you're doing the right diet plan and you're doing the right workout plan, you should be seeing results um, and and pretty significant results in three months. Man. Major Jim. Trey, my brother, man, I appreciate you dropping all these facts, and I'm glad we finally were able to link up and do this, man. You're always a great person to talk to, and I, I think I think your story is amazing. I think, you know, the things you had to battle through and open yourself in a place, um, not just physically, but mentally and spiritually and everything, I think it's great. I've been able to watch your evolution, watch your development. You come from great, from great parents. Your foundation is incredible, so I salute you in every way, my brother, and hopefully we can get together real soon. Man, I appreciate it. I appreciate the phone call, taking the time to hear my story, man, and um, allow me to to spread some love and spread some knowledge about something that I'm so passionate about. No doubt about it. Well, folks, that's been another episode of Sports Speak Podcast. We're going to hit y'all up again next week, so stay tuned.